What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, um, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasemonspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. We're taping this on a Tuesday evening. Uh, Zach Barnett of Football Scoop and College Football Talk is here. First time on the pod. Zach, good evening, sir. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I uh, I love Football Scoop. Um, I love uh, reading your work, so I'm, I'm excited to talk a little college football with you because there are... A couple of topics that I have here in my notes that I wanted to kind of pick your brain about because uh, Bill Connolly is getting started in his uh, season previews on ESPN.com, which I encourage everybody to read and going through S&P Plus projections and stuff like that going into the year and how much PFF loves Georgia. And uh, I wanted to kind of get a broad scope of a couple different things, but I want to start with Georgia. Uh, they obviously made significant changes on the offensive side of the ball. They lost Sam Pittman to Arkansas. They replaced him with Matt Luke. They brought in Todd Monken to replace uh, Coley. Is Georgia, in your opinion, vulnerable in the East in 2020 without seven returning starters and an entirely new, completely different offensive system than that Kirby Smart is both probably comfortable with and used to? You know, it's interesting because I've spent a, a lot of time um, thinking about Georgia this year. 
uh, in, in advance of this year, just because I think for all the reasons you laid out, it's going to be such an interesting team. Because I mean, I picked I picked Georgia to win the national championship ahead of last year. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'll take them in the playoff again this year, just because. I mean, everybody can see the way they've recruited, and it, at some point, two plus two has got to equal four, right? So the defense should be absolutely nasty, which you would think then gives the offense some some runway to, to figure out the kinks of Todd Monkins' new scheme. But at the same time, I mean, we all just saw LSU light the world on fire with a brand-new scheme, and obviously, you know, a different scheme, different players, all that stuff. But I think under the right circumstances, if you've got the right talent, then that will win out over everything else. And Georgia, you know, we all know what kind of talent Georgia has. So, you know, Florida, I, I haven't bought them as a credible threat to Georgia for the last three years. I think this year, you know, Dan Mullen has obviously upgraded the talent there significantly. So uh, Florida, I think for the first time, is going to be a legit top 10 team instead of just a, a top 10 team by default because we don't have anyone else to fill those those spots. So uh, long story longer, you know, I, I think Jamie Newman, if it hits, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Georgia win the national championship. Oh, my God. You're going national title with them. No, I, I think because uh, Jamie Newman is a really good quarterback. I, I, we love watching what he did at Wake. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's mobile enough to where that could finally be part of the offense. Uh, you know, I got to watch Todd Monken's offices, offenses at Oklahoma State up close and personal for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's really good at what he does. And then, uh, I mean, it's not, you win the SEC, then you're in, you're in the, you're in the dance. Yep. And I, I mean, Georgia's talent is just as good, you know, neck and neck with, with Alabama, with Ohio State, with Clemson. And you certainly you're going to take those four over the field any time. I I mean, my current favorite is still either Alabama or Ohio State. I, I keep going back and forth. It depends on whether or not Mac Jones or Bryce Young is a quarterback, but maybe that will change as the season goes on. Um, and that's a QB competition I want to ask you about in a second. But I guess my thing is I'm the other way on Georgia, where I think this amount of turnover where people just penciled them in, where it's like, all right, the offense is fixed. No Jake Fromm. We're going to have an explosive offense. We're going, I don't think Kirby is someone that because of just his personality and what's in his DNA to run the ball, run the damn ball, all that kind of stuff. I, it's almost like they just did, they went too far the other way with Monken where I'm not sure it's a clean fit with Kirby. And we just assume this guy is good at Oklahoma state at Southern Miss and wherever else he's gone. Like Todd Monken can coach offense. I don't think it's just that simple in Georgia because I think there's going to be some clashing. I think it's going to be something where Muschamp can hire whoever he wants as his offensive coordinator, but I still think Muschamp's DNA is going to be all over that offense and is not going to be comfortable doing certain things that that offensive coordinator might want to do and limit them. Then we'll have to see what Jamie Newman plays like in the SEC schedule and not the ACC schedule and playing um, what he did because like Wake went undefeated for a long period of time last year, but they didn't play anybody. And then they, they kind of flamed out down the stretch and Jamie Newman should be good. But I guess the amount of turnover, the offensive line losses, the just the, the, make, the total makeover on offense, like you said, the defense will be fine. But I'm not convinced that this much change is good for Georgia in the short term. And I also don't necessarily buy into the idea that Kirby's going to love the change in the offense. I really don't. 
Yeah, I, I don't think I definitely don't think you could be blind to that. And everything you just said, you know, I don't think you're off base for having any of those reservations. And yeah, we, I mean, we 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 all saw Ed Orgeron and Matt Canada, you know, want to fight each other within three right. weeks going into that season. But I mean, if you if, just think about it, if you're Kirby Smart, you saw a national championship slip out of your hands. Uh, that, that was in your hand. You were put in the ring. It was past one knuckle down to your second knuckle and then ripped off because Tua Tagovailoa came in in the second half and put up 26 points in, in one half football in overtime. And now you see an LSU, uh, you know, rewrite the record book after trying to win with defense for 15 years and, and not – succeeding on uh, 2007 national title aside. But I, I think Kirby has got to look around him and do the math and think, you know, I've, I've got to score. I think the, I, I just think, I just trust Kirby to, to be smart enough to realize that, you know, being conservative in the right moment is, is all well and good. But the, at, at some point in time, you pass the threshold where being conservative is being reckless. And, um, you know, they, they won that Rose bowl. They brought a great defense in there, but you know, they, they needed their offense to win that game. And I think, you know, offense is, is so winning the day at this point over football that I'll just say, I think Kirby would be a fool to try and, and, and put a governor on Todd Monken's offense if, and I, I, I'm going to give Kirby the benefit of the doubt that he's not a fool. I am fascinated because this is something that I'm going to be monitoring very close this fall because I think it's going to go the other way. You think it's going that way. Like it's, it's going to be interesting. Cause I, we, we just don't know until we see it. Um, who do you like more? I know you, you're obviously very high on Georgia, but as of right now, because Tennessee, they are only going to start five stars on their offensive line this year. Uh, this is a, a good group that Jimmy Pruitt has put together in the last couple of years. The big question is Harrison Bailey versus Jared Garantano. Um, under center, it seems like Garantano, because they won six straight in this season, he's got it. Kyle Trask is out here talking about uh, winning the title this year, and that's where their aspirations are. And I... I go back and forth on this and who I'm higher on between the two of them. It's like a SEC East dark horse. Like if the, the monk and experience sputters, who is most likely to jump right in and take the reins there. And it seems like it should be Florida because Dan Mullen just wins double figures um, everywhere he goes. I, I don't know. I go back and forth on this. I'm still not entirely convinced on either side. I would just, I would not be surprised if Tennessee arrives sooner than we're expecting. See, I, I, I am, I'm so excited to watch Tennessee this season because, as you said, they're not going to be an absolute mess for the first time in a while, which if it doesn't end up being, you know, if, if they start off two and two or something like that, then they could turn into an even bigger mess because they're not supposed to be a mess. So they're kind of Cleveland Browns-ish in that respect, I think. Um, oh, so no. <laughs> I, 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 I'm definitely, if it's not going to be Georgia, I, I, am much more confident in Florida. Uh, Dan Mullen got such a great track record. Uh, Kyle Trask, I would take him over Jared Garantano. Uh, I, I know they finished that last season on a hot streak. I just don't, I just don't trust Jared Garantano, uh, 
to get me out of a jam if I'm in one. So yeah, I I I think I think ten, I'm bullish on Tennessee to win eight games, uh, but I, I I still think they've got a ways to go, and I, I don't think their success is just going to be linear. I think I think there's still going to be some some growing pain. So I I I think their ceiling is eight wins, and Florida, yeah, if, if things break right, they could they could definitely win eleven games. Yeah, and I love that Kyle Trask is out here talking about the playoffs. Love that. Yeah. I, I love that he's the just. It's going to be so interesting because you have De'Aaron King, the guy who um, started over him in high school playing at Miami this year, and Rhett Lashley being down in South Beach and what's going to happen there. And then you have suddenly like Florida State went from having no quarterbacks uh, over three years to now having too many, maybe with Purdy making the flip from Louisville to Florida State. Um, I don't know. The state of Florida is going to be very fascinating this fall, but. That is not a quarterback competition I want to talk about because there are the, like we just the quarterback is so important now, both in the NFL and college. Like if you don't have a quarterback, it's just really, really hard to win. And there are a lot of intriguing quarterback competitions that are going to take place this fall. But I assume for you, you're most in on the Northwestern quarterback competition with Peyton Ramsey entering the fold in Northwestern versus the former Clemson uh, five star and uh, in, in Johnson. So uh, how do you see that uh, quarterback battle unfolding in uh, Evanston? Yeah, I canceled all my plans when I saw that Peyton Ramsey committed to Northwestern, and I still haven't left the house just because I've been so uh, shocked at, at at the Northwestern quarterback controversy. And I, I that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, so I I think uh, I, I'm really surprised that, that uh, I guess I'm not really surprised, but. The the Northwestern offense has been so bad, so they're going in a different direction as they should. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it'll be nice to see them with some some actual competent offense moving forward. For you, um, what is the most like in all seriousness? What is the most intriguing quarterback competition that you're monitoring this spring? Who who? Which school and which quarterbacks are you just excited to see face off? Uh, I, I would go Alabama. Uh, mm. because obviously if they hit it right, then yeah, then they're, they're back in that national championship hunt and they're, you know, they're, they're one C in my mind, along with Clemson and Ohio state. So, so, um, obviously Bryce young is, everybody expects him to win the job. And I'm sure you could get, I'm sure if you could bet on who's Alabama quarterback was, you know, starting in October, he'd probably be the favorite, but, I mean, I see the guy, and I I don't doubt his talent, but he is just so small, and he's not he's not lightning bug quick like a like a Manziel, like a like a Derek King, obviously a more developed passer than those guys. Kind of Kyler stage. Murray, right? Yeah, I I just don't know. I mean, I, I I'm willing to be proven wrong, but Kyler Murray is the only Kyler Murray I've ever really seen with just how lightning fast and lightning quick that guy is so and then i obviously he he threw two pick sixes which were both pretty fluky but i wouldn't i wouldn't discount mac jones winning that job and, and holding him off um i think he i think he's the guy that uh you know this might be a cliche at this point but i think he's the guy that can get the ball where it's supposed to go and maybe it's not as flashy uh or as exciting but i I think I give him pretty good odds to hold off Bryce Young. I'm going to give you my two kind of off the radar um, series. Okay. Because I think 
USC. Nobody's talking about them. It's just kind of been a very depressing offseason for USC fans, it seems like. I'm Keaton Slovis completed 71% of his passes down the stretch last year um, through 30 touchdowns. He has a strong case to remain the starter over JT Daniels, I think. Um, but JT was the guy, and all he did was get injured. Um, and you would assume that in Graham Harrell's scheme that he could do what Slovis did, but it'd be really hard to pull away from Slovis at this point. There's just so much writing on the season for USC and that coaching staff. See, I don't... I. I didn't even consider that one a controversy because I think it's I think it's Slovis's job at this point, and I wasn't mm. ever really super enamored with with JT Daniels. I mean, I I just don't see anything elite about that guy's game. And Slovis went in there and I think did ever, just about everything JT could do. And obviously, he is now. Uh, I think he's the guy at this point. Interesting. And then the other one that I don't think anybody's monitoring, but I am very invested in because Wisconsin is going to be a very good football team again this year. I would like uh, Wisconsin to not have uh, Mr. Cohn under center uh, for a good Wisconsin team. What I want is Graham Mertz under center. So I think I I would like Mark Emmert to focus on some sort of amendment uh, to Cottrell this year where Wisconsin is forced to play a quarterback that does not remind me of um, any of their their old quarterbacks who struggle with the downfield pass and uh, Wisconsin with an interesting quarterback again like a Russell Wilson is it's better for all parties because if Wisconsin's going to go eleven and one, I want it to be where games I'm not watching at noon on uh, ESPN two with Wisconsin Iowa is not set like cone seven for nineteen for eighty three yards and Jonathan Taylor two whoever it is running for 25 carries and 300 yards. Don't want any of that. I want the possibility of Graham Mertz being like a, a great, interesting quarterback in the Big Ten because uh, I think it's better for all of us who have to suffer through Wisconsin slugfest. Yeah, I think every Wisconsin quarterback going back through the Barry Alvarez days, save for Russell Wilson, has just been different versions of Scott Tolzien. Yes. And I don't think I, don't think I can be proven wrong in that. I, you're exactly right. Like even Iowa quarterbacks are all the same. Like all of them are Mr. Tate. Like they're, they're all some sort of underdog guy. Who's clearly not going to be a start at the NFL level, but uh, it's going to put some, some great memories there. I think Michigan state's mm-hmm. had the same quarterback for 20 years. Yes. too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Michigan state has not had a different quarterback. It's it's all been Kirk cousins since. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Jeff he's Smoker. been their quarterback since 2003. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, Jeff Smoker let the had the legacy started, and it's just continued on ever since. Um, which group of five coaches do you think are next in line for big jobs that we're not talking about? I, I think the Miami of Ohio coach is interesting. Um, just won the MAC last year. Uh, probably not the North Northern Illinois coach. I think uh, Mr. Hammock from uh, the Baltimore Ravens, the old running back coach. Rough year there. Changed over a lot of the staff. Mac, uh, no, not Matt Campbell. What's a uh, candle? And Toledo had a rough year. He cleaned house, which was strange in Toledo, and just how successful they've been to go 500 was just weird. Um, are there any group of five coaches that are next in line uh, for you that you're interested in see get a power five job? Yeah, the the uh, the pipeline it seems like has kind of been um, disrupted a bit, and a lot of guys. Yeah. That I think if you'd ask them. You know, a couple of years ago, would you be in a Power Five job at this point? They would certainly say yes. And they, they, yet here's here they still are. I think Jason Candle, uh, Blake Anderson at Arkansas State. Obviously, his story's been been well documented for good reason. 
Um, I mean, he's been close with a number of jobs, but just hasn't gotten it for one reason or another. Uh, similar to Jason Candle, Seth Luttrell, he was uh, he was very close to getting Kansas State that, that ultimately went to Chris Kleiman. And then he, I mean, last year was just a disaster. They they went in expecting to win Conference USA and finished four and eight. And um, what happened there? Uh, the well, he he's uh, replaced both coordinators. Um, yeah. They they brought in after Graham Harrell left. They brought in Bodie Reeder from Eastern Washington. Just just wasn't a fit, uh, personality wise, identity wise. Um, I think they had some, some chemistry issues. I think they had some injury issues and it, it just, it was just a, a Murphy's law type of season for them, I think. So he's another guy that's kind of like now he's heading into year five of what I'm sure he thought was a three or four year job. But at the same time, I think, you know, would it shock me if he goes nine and three and is the head coach at a big 12 RCC school time next year? Absolutely not. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think one bad season, you know, changes his his ability to, to lead a football team. Um, Billy Napier, Louisiana Lafayette, I like done him a very a lot. good job there. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, he's got to be the only guy that can claim that he's worked for Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban. At least the only guy that that's uh, in the running for Power Five head coaching jobs. So he, he was uh, stiff around Baylor, stiff around Mississippi State, stiff around him. Uh, ultimately decided to stay. So uh, I, I think all those guys are, are your top level guys at this point. If you were to um, rank in terms of like most uninspiring hire of the last 20 years, where does Colorado's hire rank? Because that's number one for me. I still haven't gotten over that, just how bad of a hire that feels like to me and how boring and just, ugh, I, I, I can't believe they did that. I cannot believe Colorado did that. Am I crazy for just looking at that as just like one of the worst tires for like the last 20 years? Yeah, I, I it's tough to argue against that. If, if you, uh, I mean, if somebody were to tell you it before it happened and try and, and pre-sell you on it, you would, there's no way you would buy it. Uh, I mean, I, it's I think. It's Carl Durrell, man. Like, yeah, that's just, yeah. it still doesn't even sound right. That guy was out of our lives like 15 years ago. It'd be like Ty Willingham getting like the, I don't know, the Minnesota job in three years. <laughs> I think it's even more off the radar than that. I mean, you would have to dig deep into the, because, I mean, he was he was fully settled into, you know, that, that uh, largely anonymous NFL assistant life. And then they pulled yeah. him out because, I, I mean, really the reason he got the job was because he was an assistant for McCartney and Neuheisel 20, 25 close to 30 years ago so i mean how many high school coaches in colorado or elsewhere that he may have had contacts with back then are still in their same jobs probably like two or three so i just wanted they should just hired the uh, oc cabarini who's just been there forever chivarini excuse me yeah recruits well and all that kind of stuff and then just build a super staff around him if we've seen anything from ed orgeron and guys like that Mario Cristobal, who didn't have success at FIU, and he didn't have a lot of experience, and you just elevate those kind of guys, and then just give him a super staff, give him a huge recruiting budget. All the I would have just done that. I think they just overthought it and just would have gone with Darren Chivarini. That's what I would have done. I I I think I given the choice between the two, I would have done that as well. And then, I mean, another hire that really had me scratching my head was Colorado State 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Steve Adazio, I, isn't his record as a head coach 44 and 44? I mean, I, mean, I don't I know. I feel like he went six and six at BC for 10 years straight. So that sounds about right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what more of a, a statement you can make about someone's resume than, than the fact that he's 44 and 44. Like he's gotten plenty of chances at this point and he's shown you exactly what he is. And he, uh, has never really worked out in out West and never really coached in the mountain West. So yeah, I, 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 I don't see where that goes from here. I love that he went four and seven at temple in 2012 and then got a better job at Boston college. So here's his Boston college resume. He went seven and six, seven and six, three and nine, seven and six, seven and six, seven and five, six and six. Incredible. Mm -hmm. That kind of consistency folks. You love to see it. I mean, that's what, I mean, I think Mike Bobo's first two or three seasons at Colorado state were seven and six, seven and six, seven and six as well. Add to the legacy. Yeah. There you go. Um, the other thing too, this is Pac-12 related that I wanted to ask you about. I think we've all like kind of penciled in like Chris Peterson retiring. That still just is unbelievable to me on a lot of levels. I mean, obviously it seems like that was something he's been thinking about for a while, but Jimmy, like the Pac-12 is wide open outside of the Oregon stuff. So this helps Washington in this regard. And they're still just destroying the Southern California pipeline and all that kind of stuff. So they're, they should be fine recruiting wise, but they had a really uninspiring OC hire too. And I don't know. Like Washington is frustrating me right now because I think they were still closer. I mean, they're the only team in the Pac-12 to make the college football playoffs since it came around. I, I'm kind of worried on their trajectory. Like Oregon just getting better and better. Oregon State moving up a little bit. Like where Oregon State's going. I like where Cal's going. I'm kind of concerned that Washington is at the very early stages of going the other way. Is that an overreaction or do you think the Lake and new OC hire is going to be fine? This program still can get back in the playoff in the next couple of years. Uh, I think they've been recruiting pretty well. Uh, I mean, when he was, when he stepped down, Chris Peterson, you know, made a, a, a pretty convincing case, at least to me that Washington will get better in the near term. And I mean, if you look at the recent parallels, uh, I mean, Oklahoma got better when Lincoln Riley took over. Ohio State yeah. got better when Ryan Day took over. So, obviously, Washington was making a uh, calculated risk with with betting on Jimmy Lake. And if he's the guy that he thinks that, that Jennifer Cohen and Steve uh, Chris Peterson thought he was, thought he is, then Washington's going to be just fine, and it'll be them in Oregon. Obviously, if they're wrong, then this this battle turn up snake eyes. But I mean, those those guys, uh, Cohen and Peterson, those they know him better than anybody else. They they saw him up close uh, day after day. And I, I this model at this point, the you know a decade ago, the the head coach and waiting model was was in vogue, and obviously you know that blew up for for obvious reasons. Now the uh, the stealth head coach and waiting, let me just step away and hand you the job before anybody, let me just make an Irish exit uh, model uh, name. It obviously needs some workshopping there, but you know, it, these, these, these programs, when they, they've got these guys, they hand it over to them. And I think everybody, I think the, the programs benefit from the new energy. And so I, I'm not worried about Washington in the near term, just, just, 
because of my faith in, in Chris Peterson's talent evaluation. All right. Well, we defer. I, I'm, I'm just going to hedge on Washington and uh, Georgia. I just think they're going to, I'm not in, I think I'm out and you're in and then we can check back in, okay. uh, in a little bit and we'll see where we're at. Cause I just, I'm while we're there. talking, can, while yeah. we're talking pac 12, can I give you my USC doomsday scenario? Okay. I'm ready. So, I, I think USC fans are in a total disrepair at this point. And so I think the ultimate uh, kick to the shins for USC at this point would be 2020. They win the Pac-12, a down Pac-12, and they win it just enough where they don't make the playoff. They, they get they get rolled by Alabama in the opener. They lose to Notre Dame. They drop another conference game along the way. So they win it at, what would that be, 10-3. and three. And then win the Rose Bowl, lose the Rose Bowl, doesn't matter. You you won the conference, made the Rose Bowl. Then at that point, obviously you got to bring Clay Helton back for 2021. And then uh, you sign another terrible recruiting class in 2021 because nobody's buying in. Now your roster is made of two terrible recruiting classes. USC plummets, and then now it's instead of doing what they should have done in 2019, now we're into 2022. And USC has wasted three seasons on a uh, head coach that everybody saw was not going to work out. I could see it. Not, not a lot of people think about like just the three year windows and the blue chipper ratio that uh, Bud Elliott puts out that like, even if you finally do make the change, like you said, a couple of years later, it's just like, then you're restarting the whole process. If you've had a couple bad cycles, those guys are still going to be in your pipeline for a couple more years. And yeah, you can use the transfer portal a lot more now, but stuff like that, like that just set your program back. I mean, thankfully they're not like Oregon state <laughs> where it, it just takes 10 years to get back. But for them, it will take three, four, five. And I, I don't know. Clay Helton seems like a very likable guy. And I think he's someone mm-hmm. that we would all like if he was coaching at Ole Miss, but because he's mm-hmm. at USC, it's just the wrong job for him. And it's like, they went seven and two in the PAC 12 last year. It wasn't even like they were bad. They played really well down the stretch and Graham Harrell was a really good OC hire for them. And they're, they're not terrible. Like, like you said, there's, there's an easy path to them winning the PAC 12 this year. The PAC 12 is down. It's Oregon and that's it. I think Utah is going to take a step back. Like I'm not a big Jake Bentley guy. I don't know if you are, but like UCLA is still super young. I like the new guy in Arizona state, their quarterback and what's going on there. But Colorado, no. Arizona, no. UCLA, no. I think Arizona State's still just not going to score enough. Washington State, transition year. Stanford, still down. Um, Oregon State, not quite ready. Washington, questions on offense. Cal, I mean, it's Cal. Cal's getting better. <laughs> so, yeah. Cal's good, but they're like, they're, they still went 4-5 and five in the Pac-12 last year. A lot of their wins were non-conference easy games. Like I, Cal's fine, but maybe they just need health at the quarterback position. I mean, we know they'll beat Washington for whatever reason, like Cal knows how to beat Washington, but yeah, I don't know. The, the PAC 12 is right there for USC. And the thing people, I think people don't realize is we as fans, you know, buy into the USC brand. We remember when they were good recruits by and large, they don't really, they don't care that much. They're, they're living in their own worlds, their own bubbles. I mean, they're they're They play football because they like it. Yeah. They, they're aware that Clemson, Ohio state, uh, LSU, they they know LSU won the national title, but you ask them to go back a decade, and they don't they don't care. You know they care about what's good now. History, you know, for them started two three years ago. So 
if you're living in California, you you're aware of the USC brand, but you don't personally remember when, you know, you don't remember the Matt Line at Reggie Bush days. And at the same time, uh, you know, the the culture in California is not what it is in the South, in the Midwest, and so Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson can come in there and basically have their pick with very little resistance. And unless you hire an Urban Meyer or something like that, it 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 doesn't change overnight, even with the USC brand. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, Dennis Dodd had a really good piece about the uh, the decline in uh, attendance uh, for college football games this past year, even though it was only like. 300 like 0.1 percent down from 2018 but it's been like a steady decline over a 10-year span are you at all worried or do you think ad's and university presidents across the country are worried about this Uh, because there was a really good nugget from the byu ad who they went like obviously they were a 500 team last year don't play the most exciting brand of offensive football that i'd be like dying to go to see on a saturday afternoon um if i mean zach wilson was cool but he was out for a lot of the year and just the way they play their defense first team um i just thought it was interesting that he said that they were helped by a home schedule that included utah usc washington boise state and food trucks um I thought that was interesting for a multitude of reasons. And I think this is something that college ball is starting to get way too happy about. And I think it's a problem. It's like the NFL doing more London games. You're taking more games away from Tampa fans and Jacksonville fans. BYU scheduling those games at home, those big games and not putting them in Dallas or wherever else. Like, I think that's one of the things that can really help um, attendance is like, Alabama USC being at Alabama one year and USC the next year. I I really, really hate the neutral site regular season games. I really hate them. And I think that is something that you can definitely use um, to get people back um, to these big games. And it just, like, I feel like it defeats the whole purpose of college football in the regular season is to take away those, those games. It's like, well, neutral site's fair. It's like, no, but part of like the main appeal is just the, the atmosphere for fans like i want to go to a big game where it's like i have a ticket to see florida um florida i don't know ucla at florida if they're both great like i just i don't know i i think that's something that they really need to refocus and stop doing like adding more of these kind of games i just i i think that is something that might help and i think that's what byu's ad was getting at there a little bit yeah i think i mean we could do 45 minutes on this topic alone easily but uh, I, I think you see in the action, I mean, Alabama basically invented the concept of the neutral site opener. Yeah. And I think they, they play USC in Dallas this year. They play Miami and Atlanta next year. And I think they're done after that. I'm pretty sure uh, they, I, I think that the home and home with Texas starts in 2022 could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure they're done with neutral site openers after that. And yeah, I mean, in the, in the age of, struggling attendance obviously you know these these programs a lot of them take five million dollar checks so it's it's tough to turn that down but i mean there's such as you allude to there's such an opportunity cost that that you incur when you when you take these games away from your home fans and yeah i i think if you're if you're greg Byrne, you know you can you can technically sell out every single game but at this point even Alabama has got to realize they're getting 80% capacity for New Mexico State. They're not getting 100% capacity. Uh, you know, the the in-home experience is too good for fans to spend, you know, four hours 
not watching, sitting in, in the sun watching Alabama play New Mexico State. And uh, that makes Nick Saban mad, but it's just true. So, but you're going to fill your stadium for USC, and that's important for a number of different reasons. And I mean, these, I, the problem is the in-home experience goes, is or the, the in-stadium experience is in direct competition with the TV experience in terms of the length of the breaks, the length of the game times, the times the game starts and TV pays the bills at this point. So it's, it's just a constant push pull dynamic that, you know, has, has got to, eat these ADs up inside because I think they know just as well as any of us that, you know, they want their fans, their stadium experience to be as good as it can be, but you can only do so much because TV calls the shots because TV pays these schools 30, $40 million a year. Yeah. We could do 45 minutes on this, I think, because it's just, it's fascinating. And I think uh, when I'm sports czar, I will, I'll make these amends and I will drop all of these. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a, you can look at it from a 30,000 foot issue, uh, a 30,000 foot view, but you know, when you really boil it down, if you're a family of four, it's a bunch of different micro decisions that you make. Well, I'd be more likely to go if the games weren't so long, I'd be more likely to go if it started at two o'clock instead of eight o'clock. I'd be more likely to go if the hot dogs were two bucks or if the, the tickets were cheaper. And so each one of those decisions is, you know, affected by a bunch of other things that may or may not be in your hand. So it, it, it's a balancing act that, that I don't envy ADs for trying to solve. No, but also just like, here's all you got to do. Look at college game day when they're at neutral sites versus anything else. There you go. That's it. That's all you got to do. Mm-hmm. Just look at that and go, oh yeah, this doesn't look right. Isn't this college sports? Like the whole point of this is being at the college atmosphere and being at the university and just being around all the fans and students and all that kind of stuff. Like it's just, it's not the same. And uh, yeah, so we could, we could talk about this all day, but Zach, I've taken way too much of your time tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, We will have to talk uh, cultural more often, man. This was fun. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you for having me. We're back on the Chase Thomas podcast. My dad is on the line. Dad, good evening. How are you? I'm well. How are you, son? Uh, you know, just starting on time like usual. No, you're not prompt. I am. <laughs> you are not. I, I had to go to the gym. First part went long. Worked earlier. It's just land of traffic. It's it's fluid. Like I told you, it's fluid. You you have a stagnant schedule. I have a fluid schedule. No. I'm respectful of other people's time. You are not. I am not. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm, I'll work on it. I'm, I'm trying to be better. But that's always been a thing. Being on time has always been a thing that I struggle with. So it deals with you're important, the other person is not. I think that might be taken a little too far. No, no. Time is everything. My time is important. Your time is important. I was on time. You were not. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, you're on time. You, it's easier for you because you just have to answer your phone whenever at the house. It's pretty easy to be on time for this when you're the guest. Yes, but we had an agreement, right? Mm. It's like a partnership. We agreed to a certain time at a certain place on a certain mm-hmm. date. 
none of that happened except for one person. So the party was really not a partnership. Mm. Well, you know, they say be better tomorrow than you were today. It's always a possibility. No. No. You think I'm being almost 30. It's, it's already done. This is just kind of, kind of my personality type. Hmm. That's a good question. It would one that would I have to ponder a while. Maybe I have to ask Francis. Okay. She has more experience in this than we do. Yeah, but she'll probably side with me, Francis. Uh, she's she, uh, I would just, huh? Perhaps. Yeah. Um. We have some Atlanta United stuff. That we have to talk about that. Uh, Joseph Martinez. Out for the season, uh, Miguel yeah. Almiron paid homage to him. I don't know if you saw that over the weekend where he did the, the I don't know what to call this, like what they used to do side by side where they like lean over and like point at each yeah. other or whatever that is. I don't know what to call that. They make like an arch, a human arch with both of them. He did that yeah. after to pay homage to him. Newcastle, uh, your early thoughts on Atlanta United's chances long-term this season without Joseph Martinez? Well, I think it kind of gets into the old 1966 movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So, to answer your question, it's TBD to be determined. I I don't know. Um, We do have so many new players, so many new uh, people in different positions um, that we don't know much about. So it's going to take a while for them to gel. We lost some really significant people with Gressel and uh, Nagby and now uh, Martinez and uh, Front and, and Parkhurst retiring. So it's just a, a combination of things. <clears throat> but there's some players that really uh, you're if you look at the Cincinnati game uh, individually and not look at Nashville and Cincinnati, but just the Cincinnati game, um, there were some things that really kind of jumped off the page. Um, and I think that would be uh, the good was, I thought Pitty played exceptionally well. That's the best I've seen him play probably ever. I thought he did a really good job of pushing. In fact, in the first half, we were in an offensive push consistent. I mean, just one right after. So I thought we did a really nice job of uh, keeping the our defensive line up, which allowed for midfield to control, which allowed for the offensive um, opportunities to present themselves. So I thought that was really good. Why are... So through two games, they won both. They played out kind of the same way with Cincinnati and Nashville, with the exception being Joseph Martinez uh, going down in the first one and them not losing a striker this week. But why do you think they're getting outshot so much in, through two weeks by the opposing, opposing teams, even though they're, they've won both, but they're not uh, winning the, the shots on goal at, I think at all? I think it's the midfield. I mean, until we kind of stabilize a little bit, um, I'm liking, you know, part of it is just 
look at how many people we played on Saturday or whatever was it? I think it was Saturday, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Saturday uh, night. Yeah. So if we look at all the players that played in the game, I mean, we had an 18 year old out there. So I mean, it was it was a combination. We had a player go out with a head injury, which was starting fullback. I mean, um, you've got players that were, uh, you know, not exactly in what I would say your traditional position, you know, um, uh, and you're not used to what this person can do. And then you had some uh, opportunities that weren't there, so some of the goals. So I think, you know, um, Martinez was an – he's a ball hawk, and he's going to go, and he's going to take the shot, and he's deadly. And, I mean, just with him and Gressel, that was just a fantastic combination. Um, We don't have that right now. I mean, so you're saying, why are we not getting shots? Well, we don't have the offensive – uh, teamwork that we had before. I mean, and even Miram last year really helped to set things up because you had to play off of Miram because Miram had just rear back and pop one. He was very good with ball control. So it's, it, uh, but I think if you look, I think it was Heinemann. Uh, he had one goal. And uh, what do you think like, of him? I like him. That shot that he got on um, Saturday, he ripped it. What a great shot. What a fantastic shot. He was one who did that the week before too, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so he's he's really showing, you know, as a midfielder, he's doing really well. But what I thought was glaring, let's go to the the good was pity, the bad was uh uh Barco. Barco I mean he scored I mean, early again. No, he didn't score. That was off the defense's leg. The defense man got it, but he gets credit for it, but he was you know, he, he just another – and you look at the Olays that he had. I mean, he had, you know, one-on-one with a keeper and just totally bombed that one. We Nobody knows what the heck he was doing there. So he, he was at a uh, cause that we had a three-on-one, and because he delayed the ball, uh, we were in offside position, so ruined that goal. So not I, – I don't think he had a good game. I, I, um, I'll give him the goal. Okay, fair enough. But I if you look at the tape, Looks pretty close to me that it's off the defender's uh, leg and ricochets off of uh, Barco. So not not a uh, not a not what I would consider a, a good game. I not one impressed with him at all. <laughs> what is Barco going to have to do for you to to buy back in? I, think I feel Barco, like you just you just hate this guy. You really do. Well, I think he he hurts us in a lot of ways. So one of the things is he's so short. I mean. He is, you go to a header, I mean, he's jumping in, hitting your kneecaps. I mean, these guys, if you look at that Webster guy, I believe the 18-year-old, he's like 6'3". I mean, a huge guy. Well, 10 out of 10 times on a header or high ball, it's, it's going to, it's going. He's going to, he's going to get it because Barco just can't get up. So it, 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 it hurts you in that regard. So, you know, uh, if you're doing a corner, I mean, if he's not kicking the corner, which is usually pity, then, you know, he's worthless. I mean, unless you're getting a deflection or something. So um, I think it lends itself to another set of problems. So I'm not not really big on him. I do like this John guy. John, John, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it because when they're saying on the television, I think they're saying John or John. And so I like him. He's, he's an interesting guy. I mean, uh, he's a good hustler. I don't know 
here to say, you know, is he, uh, uh, is he, uh, Joseph? No, but I don't know what it, I don't think he hurts us. He's not like, uh, uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, Vasquez. I mean, Vasquez, uh, he, was, he couldn't hit the broadside of a red barn. So he was not, you know, any help at all. Whereas this guy here, I'm, I don't know. He, he hustled. I'll give him the, the hustle award. Um, so I really, I think that that, that'll be helpful. I mean, if you look at that front line, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what he does. And then, uh, um, do you think they should stick with the three, four, three? Um, no, no, I like a four, three, three, but you know, that's just me. I, I like that they're putting the enforcer in. So Renowitz got in there. I really like that. And I can tell you the player, if I were to say, to look back on the game and, who was the most dynamic, the biggest guy to jump off the page? Uh, uh, Rosetto. Uh, Matt, he, Matthias or whatever? Yeah, he is, I like him. He is good. He's got fantastic ball skills. Of course, I thought Rometty had a great game too. Hyman, I thought the line was good. I mean, you know, uh, like Mesa, he did a good job. Uh I think that, uh, and I thought Wester did a good job coming in, you know, being young. But uh, what's his name comes back this week? Um, uh, supposedly, what's his name? The the other fullback. Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank. I like him a lot. Robinson, like him a lot. I really like him. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think it's just a matter of time um, with. Both of these guys, you know, in fact, all these guys, you know, as they kind of get used to playing with each, you know, uh, as a team. Um, so I, I think up front, we just need somebody up there. And supposedly, they, I think they got somebody else this week um, that's a striker. So I think that'll, we need somebody that's up there to, to just be a ball hawk and just want the ball and give me the ball. Let me get in there and, you know, try to. You know, you break the box, you you rip it. So I'd like to see a little more of that. Um, but well, they have Sporting KC this weekend, who have scored seven goals through two weeks. Are you at all worried about the defense and being able to withstand an actually a good, good offensive team unlike Nashville and uh, FC Cincinnati? Um, no, I think it depends on what he runs. I mean, if he runs, if you run a a four three three, I don't know. That's, that's uh, it. You know, they did some of this unique uh, kind of uh, lineups where he'd run something like a, a four, I think it was a four, two, three, one, or something like that. And it was an odd formation that you don't typically see, but you'll see that kind of. I mean, I think that's this is where DeBoer, I mean, you have to kind of you know, look at him and kind of give him a tip of the hat. So I just read the stats this week. In fact, I prepared when I was on time for tonight's conversation. Mm. Um, I had prepared notes. And one of the things that I noticed was that if you look at the first 50 games, because he just finished his 50th game, the Boar's record is 30, 15, and 5. And Tata, who, you know, I think the world of, was 22, 14, and 14. So it goes to show, you know, this guy, he's, he's, he's got an interesting way of doing things. Um, 
I think Tata is just an outstanding coach. Uh, but DeBoer, you know, in his own right, has done a good job. I mean, if you look at, you know, how many things we, we won um, over the course of, you know, his leadership and tenure. So, uh, you know, with his leadership and the, and the tenure of his time here in Atlanta. So I, I think um, – I think it'll be interesting to see long term, but I, I like what he's doing. I like that he's going out and looking for some of these. I, I'm I was not happy at all losing a couple of players. Um, obviously, I think the world of Gressel, he was at the prime. He's I think what 24, something like that, and just um, I think he was third in the league last year in assists. So, um, and you got to take that that you put an asterisk beside that because Martinez was out for a whole bunch of weeks. Uh, uh, with an injury, so you know that kind of hurt. Uh, but that that just showed you. So I wasn't happy that that Nagby had a fantastic season last year. So that really bothered me. And I love uh, uh, Miram. Miram was a great pickup. So good for all these guys. I know they went to different places, and uh, so that just shows you the strength of the program. Um, that you know, it's not like these guys are out of the league. They're they're going to other. Uh, MLS teams, so good for them, and I think uh, I think it'd be interesting to see. So I, I don't know, uh, you know, where these goals that they scored, what kind of defense were they playing against? So um, I think, you know, not seeing them, I, I don't really know off the top of my head. Just, you know, kind of look at them and see. Well, that JJ Williams oh, yeah, guy they signed uh, from the USL, the striker. He's 22. He went to Kentucky. He was in the SEC Conference Tournament MVP. He won the SEC uh, USA Player of the Year, Offensive Most Valuable Player. He scores goals. Uh, but that's also been in the works before um, Joseph Torres' ACL, but it is official. So um, it should be in He's an Alabama native, so it seems like he's someone that uh, – local product that uh, might be interesting. And he might – he's got opportunities because I don't think uh, John is – locked in there uh, for a bunch of starts and a bunch of minutes? I don't know. I think John is, is – he helps to drag people out. So it allows for, um, you know, Pity or Barco to to break inside. Um, I think that, again, Pity had a fantastic game. I thought he did a good job in transition. Um, sometimes he doesn't always do that very well. Um, but I thought he did a great job. Uh, obviously, Rometty did several of those long runs. Um, so he had a, a really good game. So I liked all of those. And I liked some of the, you know, people that he was moving in. I would have maybe moved him in a little sooner. I think legs were starting to get a little tired. Um, but aside from that, I mean, I like, I like what he's doing with the squad. This fan is, you know, he's, he's just on. He just, you know. He had a couple of great saves over the weekend, you know, where he, he paused that one, waxed it back out with his hand. And so that was, that was good. The goal was a legit goal. It was a defense uh, snafu. You had, I think that's when Webster was in there. And so just marking that man, you can't give that guy, a, you know, free shot, free look. And the ball, he ripped it. I mean, just, you tip your hat. Sometimes you, you know, it's like the, in any other sport where somebody does something just, so astounding you just kind of you have to tip your hat and so that's what i do here this guy here that was a great strike and you know you got the goal it's legit it wasn't one of these you know 
ricochet bounces off or something, you know, uh, luck kind of goals. It was, it was, I mean, you can even see Gazan, uh, uh, lose his footing because he's thinking it's going to curl left and it curled right. And, um, you know, so good for him. I mean, you know, they're, they're going to come along. They're probably going to lose somewhere along the way, but I think they're going to get stronger each week because everybody that's out there is really playing well. I was looking at our passing efficiency was really, really high. So um, that's what you've got to do as well. This team is engineered toward that. We don't lead at all, don't really do a very good job of, of that. So we're looking straight for the feet and, you know, do something with it from there. So, um, uh, and the other thing that we're maybe missing a little bit is somebody that just has blistering speed. I wish we had, you know, again, that's a, uh, an Almoron who's, you know, he can just outrun the other guys. That, I mean, that was, that was the thing with, with Barco the other day with uh, three on one. He doesn't have the speed to pass the last defender. I mean, he could, he wasn't, and, but he was late on his pass, which put the, our two other players in an, Offsides position, so it's like, you know, this is where it's got little ticky tack things that we shouldn't we shouldn't have been in that position. You're a, you got three on one, and you know to be that late on a pass is just ridiculous. So, um, well, anything uh, else th- from your notes that we have not hit on yet? Um, no, I think I think we've got we've got a, this other player here. This uh, I don't. I don't remember seeing him, but maybe I missed something. The Nas, Nas Cremento, Nas Cremento, Mentio. It's N A S C C I M I E N T O. I think. Uh, I thought he. I. I don't know who he is, and I must have missed him because uh, that Walks guy. I like him. I like Mesa. I like Lennon. I like all those guys. I mean, I think our back line's pretty solid. And then when you get Robinson back here, it's going to even be more solid. Uh, of course, I think the enforcer is a great guy. That's the reason why I think I would probably run a 4-3-3 because you can have Lorenowitz just on top and, uh, you know, control. I think he does a really good job of managing. Of course, this is where an LGP is so valuable. That's another guy that's out the door, you know. But I think that would have helped our defense, too, is uh, just somebody like that, a Parker's LGP. And I think Lorenowitz is in that same mold. So I, I, I definitely feel very strong on that. But I really would like to see this Rosetto play more. I, I really like him. Unbelievable ball skill. Fantastic ball skill. I mean, he, he was really good up front. So I, I think that's, uh, that's kind of that guy that you don't – the first time you get to see him play, you're going – I think he's uh, Brazilian. Yeah, and, he is. Uh, and uh, that's the first time I've gotten to see him. I've heard of him, but I didn't. I've never seen him play. Wow, he's he's got jumps off the page. So you know, there's some uh, there's some opportunity um, for growth. But I definitely think that he was uh, uh, um, the best. And then of course, you know, the ugly here. The good, the bad, the ugly. The ugly is is unfortunately the stupid injury that 
Joseph got was was problematic. It was you know it's it's season ending. Oh, that's that's the ugly because I mean, he's he's such a great player and an intense guy. He brings everybody up with him. I mean, just he's the guy that everybody wants on a team. So I hope it's uh, not something that uh, will be impactful in the years to come. But uh, certainly we couldn't have that that that's a noticeably missing part. So. Looking forward to seeing this new young gun or whoever the guy, the guy from Kentucky. I'm interested in seeing him play um, and to see what kind of uh, line we have, uh, lineup we put out there. So that'll be up to the board. He'll do. A, I think he'll do a, a good job. He's he's done a good job. And so I said, you look at his numbers and they're kind of surprising. I, I would have thought they'd been a little closer, but they're pretty significant. Um, he was Thirty. 15 and five, I, it's, it's pretty amazing, really. So good for both the both him and Tata. That shows you the commitment from the ownership of Atlanta to um, that they are really, which is interesting. You know, growing up here in Atlanta, you did, I did. Uh, that we've had so many stink bomb teams that you put out there, and you know, and regardless of the sport, baseball, football basketball just some really horrible teams and uh you're looking at this program and it's just at the the other end of the spectrum it's high caliber high quality and i think they had another 69,000 or something like that 67 69,000 game this is their uh home opener mm. so the the interest is not uh diminished at all so Another another positive, great coaching, puts out great teams, great teams bring in, you know, the fan base. And they want to see, you know, um, you know, as I've stated before, and, and going to those games, it's just a great experience. So um, all good, all good. All right. Well, this has been great, Dad. Appreciate the time as always. Um, I, will, I will talk to you soon. All right. Good night, son. Love you. Bye. All right. Love you too. Bye. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, if you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, it helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Um, for as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. You could go to ChaseThomasPodcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front so if you're not tired of listening to me you can also read me um so that's awesome but uh i think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode uh, i hope you continue listening that would be great and uh i will talk to you all again very soon thanks guys nicely done nephew 
Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.